From bell to bell and post to post. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. And it's just stopped. So let's get fucking like a monkey. Working the territories on the Northwest Coast. Who wants to walk with Elias? You're listening to Wrestle Central. Give me a hell yeah. On Sportsnet 650. You got a journalism for that? With Justin Morissette. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are back for another week of Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. As the man told you, my name is Justin Morissette, and we got a big show coming your way this evening. I know I like to say that pretty well every single week, and when I do, I like to preface it with a well. Well, it is a big show this evening. I am joined, yes, I have a guest for the first time in a little while this evening, by... Uh, Emily Pratt, formerly of With Spandex, you might know her from her work there where she did uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling recaps for a good long while. She has landed at a new spot this morning and uh, was pleased to catch up with her on the day that she got to share that news. We talked quite a bit about uh, New Japan and the New Japan Cup that's been going on here over the last month. Of course, the finals of which are next weekend, Dominion next weekend for New Japan as well. But that is not all. New Japan also kicking around the idea. No, not just kicking around the idea. They're going to do it. They plan on bringing fans back into the building for next weekend's shows. A lot to dive into there uh, as far as uh, you know, New Japan content. But it is also uh, a conversation that sort of keeps the themes going that we've been talking about here on the show the last few weeks, of course. We are still seeing uh, repercussions and fallout uh, from the speaking out movement in professional wrestling, professional wrestling's version uh, of Me Too, essentially, uh, that we've been covering here on the show over the last few weeks since it uh, basically began with an explosion of, of allegations and accusations in the UK wrestling scene spread back over to uh, North America as well, a number of... Uh, of people's careers have been ended, and justifiably so. And uh, before we get to too much further on that, I do want to make an amendment to something that I said uh, at the end of last week's show. I was making a statement about uh, the allegations against Jeff Duncan of ECCW, uh, who is no longer with that company, and basically uh, my my feelings on uh, on that company's ability to continue, basically. I did feel last week that ECCW as a brand has taken too much damage over the last couple weeks to be able to continue. That might not entirely be true. Maybe there is a a fresh buyer who can come in and scoop up this company and, and turn it around, or maybe even the people uh, who are in the ownership position right now can perhaps right the ship on this. I, I said that, uh, you know, we have discovered over the last couple weeks uh, that this is a, a company full of, of snakes and deceivers. And I I said company there, and uh, I think that was a slip of the tongue. It made it sound like I was saying that ECCW is full of people who are not to be trusted. And that is, frankly, not true. I meant to say an industry full of people like that, an industry where you really do not know uh, who you are able to trust and who you cannot Um and, and that is still true. You know, maybe there are more allegations to come 
in the weeks ahead uh, within wrestling as a whole and within our local scene here. It does feel like this is uh, the start of something and not the completion of it. So, uh, you know, maybe we will find out uh, things in, in the weeks and months ahead here. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to make it clear. There are so many people involved in professional wrestling as a whole, but especially here in this city who are fantastic people who do not deserve to have uh, their names have a shadow cast over them uh, by you know the allegations and accusations of what has gone on within this company and within this scene over the last several years. Uh, there are a good many great people uh, who who should not be uh, impugned or or um, you know implicated in any of this, and and that is you know especially I feel like the people who have been running the the training school here in Vancouver, the uh, Lionsgate Dojo. Um, and those trainers include Tony Baroni, Cat Power, uh, Billy Suede, uh, Artemis Spencer. I'm probably forgetting some names here as well. Uh, Nicole Matthews. You know, th- these are, are strong people uh, and, and have great character, and all of their students are willing to go to bat for these folks, uh, and I do not want uh, you know my comments from last week to basically uh, implicate them in any way, because uh, by all accounts, from all the wrestlers that I've spoken to, everyone associated with that dojo and training school, I mean, that is what we have to be proud of here in Vancouver, the resurgence in indie wrestling and the, the level of talent, the generation that we've seen come up in this city over the last little while. Uh, we owe it largely to those coaches and the work that they've done to build up that next generation of talent. Obviously, the talent has done a, a great deal of work as well. But, you know, I just want to make it clear. This is a difficult time, a tumultuous period, one of the great dark periods in, in wrestling history. You know, I, I said last week I wasn't around as a journalist uh, or even a wrestling fan, I'd kind of tuned out of the industry for a little while there when the whole Benoit thing went down. But but even people who were around and were in journalism roles during that time have compared the you know what we're dealing with today and the fallout of all these accusations and just how heavy it feels to be a pro wrestling fan at the moment to you know that moment that they are a comparable uh, stretch and it, it's 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 a dark time. It's really easy to feel down on wrestling as a whole, but I do want to be clear. There are still very, very good people in this industry and very, very good people in this industry right here in this city as well. So as much as it's been difficult for me over the last couple weeks to, you know, sit down and and watch wrestling television as if everything is normal, uh, it's not maybe as, as bad or bleak as it can feel at times, certainly. And heck, I will admit, it's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are talking about, uh, well, we're talking about the the wave of allegations that has consumed wrestling coverage here over the last uh, little while, and that's a conversation that will continue later on in the show. Before too long, going to be joined by Emily Pratt of Fan Fight, formerly of Wispandex, to uh, talk about uh, the allegations there. Because look, this is not just something that was limited to. Uh, to to wrestling, uh, as far as wrestlers and promoters who were uh, accused or outed of of you know malfeasance, essentially, this is something basically uh, that that 
happened in media here as well. And, and Emily is a prime example of that. I didn't want to, uh, you know, poke her and prod her on it too much because these are very raw subjects. And I was, you know, I'm very happy to have her on the show to talk about these things at all. Before uh, we get to that interview, though, there, there's a couple things that I did want to talk about um, uh, it, to set the stage for bringing Emily on, and then just to talk about wrestling topics as well before we get into the interview that will eat up the bulk of the program here this evening. Uh, you know, a- Emily put out a statement of her own on the entire Brandon Stroud situation. Brandon was the uh, name on the masthead at Wispandex, and kind of the reason why that site shut down is because he was so intrinsically tied to it, you could not separate uh, that brand from that man. And as a result, uh, Uprox has, you know, shuttered uh, with Spandex. It is no longer a, a part of their uh, vertical, I guess. They are promising to continue to have wrestling coverage as part of Uprox Sports, but with Spandex is no more. And when that decision came down, Emily did put out a statement on that. I want to read a little bit of it right now because it rings true to me uh, personally. And I think there's a lot of people who've worked a lot of difficult jobs uh, in their lives, who this might speak to as well. Uh, Brandon Stroud was the, as I said, managing editor of Wispandex. Emily Pratt, my guest this evening, uh, worked under him. And part of her statement that she put out on Twitter, you can find it on her Twitter account, at Emily of Pratt, says, Why did I keep working with him? There are several factors I've weighed in my mind many times over the past two and a half years. He moved away from Los Angeles a while back, and someone else was appointed to an editor position at Wispandex. Two factors that meant I didn't have to deal with him directly as much. Uprock's work became a significant portion of my income, and I believed if I spoke up, I might be fired, or the work environment would be made so uncomfortable for me that I would be forced to quit and that I would be blacklisted from similar jobs. I was also able to consistently do work I was proud of at Uproxx and get opportunities to learn more about working in media. I had really good experiences working with several more experienced writers in the company, and I felt like I could use working at Uproxx to strengthen my resume while I applied to other jobs in writing and media. The plan was basically to tough out the bad days with Brandon until I could secure a better future for myself. And uh, personally, I have worked in toxic work environments uh, in sports media coming up in my career as well. And that is always the justification is that if you just put your nose to the grindstone and try and do the work as best as you can, uh, you will be able to move on somewhere else because the systemic issues at play are too large for you to perhaps tackle on your own. That really spoke to me a lot and um, uh, a very good conversation, as I mentioned, coming up uh, with Emily Pratt, uh, now of Fan Fight no longer of with spandex. And you know what? I wanted to talk about the Great American Bash tonight and I wanted to talk about Fighter Fest going head to head. We're going to see those uh, you know, I guess <laughs> they're not pay-per-views. They're not even really pay-per-view level cards, though some of the matches are tremendous in pay-per-view caliber. I'm very much looking forward to uh, this coming Wednesday's Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho match and Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks from this past Wednesday on NXT was absolutely tremendous. I will give it up to NXT and AEW as someone who, as I mentioned, has had a hard time buying back into professional wrestling over the last little while here. They have done a good job of hooking me back in with matches that I cannot pass up. Uh, you know, I was a huge fan of Best Friends versus uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page this week. The, the entrances alone were fantastic. The match was tremendous. Both of the women's matches on both shows this past Wednesday, honestly, very, very strong. Uh, EO versus Sasha on the NXT side. 
and uh, Hikaru Shida versus Penelope Ford on the AEW side. These are great shows. They're not pay-per-views. They're selling them to us as pay-per-views, and I kind of find that charming. It's a way to build interest during kind of uh, the doldrums of summer. These are typically um, when you see ratings lows and, and people tend to tune out in between the June and August pay-per-views. They're doing a good job, I feel like, both sides of driving interest, at least to the Wednesday night shows at the moment. And uh, I think that's all the time I have to talk about that for the evening. When we come back, I am joined by Emily Pratt, formerly of Wispandex, currently of Fan Fight for a conversation about New Japan Pro Wrestling and a whole host of other topics, including hashtag speaking out. You can also have your say. We are live and interactive this evening. The text message inbox can be reached at 650-650. Not sure if I'm going to have time to take calls this evening, but if you want to have your say on anything that went on in the wrestling world, would love to hear from you on the text line 650-650. I will address whatever gets sent in before the night is done. But in the meantime, we're going to take a break. Because it's a long chat coming up with Emily Pratt. We'll be right back with it on the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. I'm Justin Morissette, and you're listening to Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. Pick yourself up off the mat. It's time for more Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650 with Justin Morissette. Yes, that's right. We are back. A very short opening segment to make room for... What is a lengthy conversation with my guest this evening? Let's get right to it, honestly, because it is a long chat uh, about some fun topics. For example, the New Japan Cup and New Japan's plans to reintegrate audience members in their shows coming up next week. But some heavy topics as well uh, as speaking out and the kind of wrestling equivalent of Me Too has had a direct impact on my guest this evening. She worked with Brandon Stroud, an outed abuser, the former managing editor of Wispandex at Uproxx. And we got into that topic as well, because really, how could we not? But uh, it's a long one, so let's get right to it. My guest this evening is a freelance writer who typically covers New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can find her as a regular contributor to Fanbyte, as well as Deadlock Professional Wrestling, formerly of With Spandex as well. It's Emily Pratt. You can find her on Twitter at Emily of Pratt. Emily, uh, welcome to Wrestle Central. Thank you so much for doing this tonight. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, <laughs> it is, it's an exciting time for you and I think for New Japan Pro Wrestling as well. I, I've caught you at a very good time here because you have landed at a new spot. You are now writing uh, about New Japan, uh, no longer at Uproxx. You've landed at Fanbyte. Congratulations. That's got to be Thank exciting. You. Yeah, my first like article about New Japan for them, uh, which is about the New Japan Cup, went up this morning, so... Yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good time, I think, for, for New Japan, too, because, uh, Emily, we have not really talked about uh, NJPW on this show really back since Wrestle Kingdom, it feels like. But that, And that's because there hasn't been a lot of NJPW to talk about. They took a three-month hiatus. They came back uh, over the last month with the, the New Japan Cup. And, uh, you know, they, they feel like the company that is poised to handle uh, wrestling in a bubble, perhaps, certainly better than uh, than anyone here over on North America, it feels like. Is that fair to say? I think so. Like, the fact that they even, like, took time off 
like in their first reaction was not when uh coronavirus uh was like picking up in japan was like okay we're gonna go on hiatus and we're gonna figure things out like that's very encouraging to me yeah and you've got guys uh like hiroshi tanahashi going out in public and saying i hope pro wrestling is the last thing that comes back you know uh it's it's the lowest priority we're the least important thing let's get everything sorted out so there yeah i feel like there was a lot of goodwill uh among fans and among my friends and among you know different writers that i read as well towards new japan for actually uh doing what the north american companies refuse to i guess other than ring of honor who have yet to run a show since the the outbreak but uh you know they have been back and and it's kind of a uh, a weird challenge for the company it feels like right now as well because when we left off you they had just done this you know big grand coronation that fans specifically fans of uh, Los Ingobernables to Japan have been waiting for for a very long time you've crowned uh, Naito uh, as as the champion that people have been waiting for years to see and then they have to pull the plug for three months and it, it probably uh, of all the companies who you would trust the most with long-term booking uh, I mean this had to be a huge hit to creatively what they wanted to do in 2020 and we are watching them kind of course correct here with this tournament over the last couple weeks right yeah for sure like um like the one good thing I think for them is that they when they went on hiatus they were definitely like just about to start a bunch of new angles and they had just finished a bunch up besides like the tag title feud so at least it's like they didn't they didn't have to like drop any halfway and do weird like uh kind of like patching over things but they i'm sure this messed up like so many plans that they had especially like now because of uh japan having closed borders to like pretty much everywhere right now they don't have like almost any of the bullet club so that's like they don't have jay white or kenta like two of their top heels so that definitely like messed up some things i don't know what those things were but like yeah i'm sure their plans are just in shambles but i think you can't really i think they've course corrected really well so far do you do you feel like i mean the final is next weekend it is going to be uh, uh okada versus uh evil if i'm not mistaken is that correct is that the yeah, final yeah. yeah uh and you know we are looking at uh, uh i guess if i had to say it's it's very likely much more likely that okada comes out as the winner of that and gets his shot at the double gold against naito again is there any chance here that they do move the belts back to Okada, or does this just sort of feel like uh, an opportunity for Naito to kind of put his stamp on this year again and remind us uh, basically how he got here in the first place uh, with a big win over Okada? Uh, and, and you know, we get to basically go where we wanted to go once this is over, uh, coming out of this sort of thing. I don't, I don't want to fantasy book the tournament, but, uh, you know, where what's your gut as far as where this is going? finish and i don't want to i don't think you can anybody can totally rule out that they might just say like okay okada is like our reliable top guy let's kind of put the belts back on him i really hope they don't do that though because naito had like one title defense and i would like to see more of him and i don't really know like i can't 
personally imagine like an Okada title run I'd really want to see right now. Like they could definitely surprise me with that. But like, I think that, I mean, I think also, I think that evil could possibly win uh, the tournament and they might want to just, I mean, that would be like really shaking things up, but like, I think that's not totally out of the question. Um, but I, I do think Naito's like going to retain, but there is like, if it ends up being Naito Okada, I will be stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morris. My guest this week is Emily Pratt of Fanbite. We are talking the New Japan Cup. And yeah, I guess that's kind of, that is a foreseeable outcome, I guess. I just, you know, in my brain, I just automatically assume that Okada's got to win this thing, even though, yeah. personally, Emily, in the bracket that I filled out for this tournament, I had Gato beating Okada in the first round as like oh, a major upset. So my bracket was busted after night two, essentially. But, you know, kind of why I wanted to see that was like, this is an opportunity to make a new star or at least elevate someone on that level and I don't know that there's a bigger way to elevate somebody than giving them a finals victory over Okada so you, you know you might be bang on here there is an opportunity that evil can win this thing and that is an interesting story as well for there to kind of be a dissent perhaps among LIJ uh, going after Naito's belts and you know, obviously, uh, Hiromu is one of the, the breakout stars of this tournament as well, even if he's not in the final. So uh, lots of interest in guys in LIJ as far as, you know, possible matchups for, for Tetsuya Naito here as well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been interesting, though. And, like, we're talking about fun stuff, and I'm glad that we get this distraction uh, of, you know, even talking about simple things like booking right now, because obviously it's been a rough couple weeks here uh, to be a fan of the business and to follow pro wrestling. But if anything, Emily, I do sort of feel like New Japan is sort of segmented off from all of that. It gets to be its own kind of special thing. I don't have to watch it feeling, uh, you know, fear and, and, and horror that any number of these performers could catch COVID. I mean, obviously, that's still a possibility. It's not like Japan has conquered this thing by any stretch, but it's not as, uh, it's not proliferating in the same way that it is in Florida, you know? Like, I don't feel uh, imminent danger uh, in all this. And also, it feels like their roster is largely a bunch of sweet boys who were not implicated uh, in any of the speaking out stuff. So, you know, you don't have that icky feeling when it comes to Japan at the moment and it's kind of you know I we were just laughing about uh, how this thing's gonna end here it's nice to have that as sort of a, a space in wrestling that I don't have to feel guilty about watching right now yeah I think I mean in the case of New Japan like there's not that many people who like would have even been able to be implicated like especially if it was like people are talking about mostly things that have happened in the u.s and the uk and i feel like a lot of wrestlers when they travel abroad are like really on their best behavior uh for like obvious like business reasons um so i don't want to say like you know i hope everybody who works there is a good dude but i don't really know but yeah it does feel like because the company has been so responsible and like so open about like yes there is a pandemic it is not safe to do wrestling we are trying to figure out how to do wrestling safely like it feels a lot better 
to watch it. And because, yeah, if you look up like how Japan is doing with coronavirus, it is not, it is far from Florida. Like they are concerned in Tokyo about the number of cases and it was because they had uh, over a hundred, like two days in a row. <laughs> and meanwhile, and that, is, Florida has like <laughs> 11,000 in a single yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just yeah. like, oh, we're going to keep wrestling there. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Now, yeah. we're talking about these, this in positive terms right now. But I mean, this could take a turn because as you and I speak right now, Emily, we are about one week away from Dominion and they are going to be letting fans into the building for that show i i think it will be you know the first i guess that's not entirely true there have been like gcw outdoor shows that have had uh fans attending uh socially and responsibly distancing and so on etc it's just you know i don't know personally i i'm speaking to you from probably the safest place in north america as far as coronavirus is concerned in vancouver bc you could not pay me to attend a wrestling show right now like i just don't I don't know who is wanting to fill that building at the moment. And this has potential to, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's low potential when we're talking about uh, breakouts of, you know, 25, 50 people relative to what is, is going on in Florida, like we just said. But there is potential for this to go terribly wrong. Oh, for sure. But I think, like, the pros of what New Japan is doing is they're only uh, – allowing venues to be filled to like one third capacity and they're doing like masks are required and i think temperature checks and there's like a bunch of other guidelines for fans but definitely it could go wrong um and that would be obviously awful because people would be getting coronavirus and a bad look for the company also um there's kind of a let's see other companies in Japan have had fans earlier uh had fans back earlier like Dragon Gate had some shows this weekend that were full capacity but like nobody was allowed to cheer because <laughs> that uh you know I think everybody's seen on like graphs or not graphs like graphics right now like yelling uh even if you're wearing a mask can like be riskier for the spread like of coronavirus spittle or, and whatnot allowed to applaud so it was a very quiet show so like that kind of looked a little bit riskier to me but it was like it it did look at least like everybody was cooperating with everything um so i mean but then you have things like gcw their most recent shows pretty much everybody was wearing a mask and they were outside so like maybe that's the least risky way. I don't really know, but um, it's definitely not free of risk. Yeah. But at least they are. It does seem like they're legitimately taking precautions, and it wasn't like you had to like pull teeth in order for them to do it. I I just kind of worry that like when you do things like this, it kind of normalizes the idea that we've conquered this thing. And and obviously, yeah. like, Florida is so much different. It's a wildly different set of factors. But I do feel like wrestling did have a role in the way, like, things went out of control down there. Because as soon as yeah. WWE was running shows and WrestleMania and so on, etc., everybody wanted to, to do the same thing. You have all these pro sports leagues heading down to Florida to run there as well. And it 
kind of gives off the illusion that this that everything's normal, you know, on some level. Yeah. And and when you bring fans back into the equation, even more so. So I I mean, like we said, the numbers as far as daily cases and so on, etc., in Japan are relatively low, but they're relatively low where I am right now as well. Yeah. Uh, and and I still wouldn't do it. Like, I just, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, you know I, what kind of figure I would have to be paid to even walk through the doors, never mind sit in the stands. So yeah. it, it's going to be interesting. It, it's added kind yeah. of this uh, additional wrinkle of interest to Dominion coming up next weekend. Never mind, uh, you know, a pretty stacked card, I think, overall. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good show. Something else interesting about I think both the uh, Dominion show and the show the night before have like more expensive tickets than usual because they can't fill the whole building or have the as the size of audience they would normally. But it's like you have to pay more. But also it's a much riskier <laughs> situation than when you would normally go to a wrestling show. So I don't know like the mentality of people in Osaka about that <laughs> right now but that's like that's that's kind of an interesting factor yeah <laughs> I mean that is <laughs> wild you're paying for the privilege of being put at risk basically that is yeah. insane but um I mean they gotta I guess try and make up the the difference in revenue somehow because that yeah that building ain't paying for itself I suppose on some level yeah um very very strange times before we kind of wrap up here as far as our new Japan conversation Emily uh if if someone listening right now has not been paying attention to the new Japan Cup but perhaps wants to get caught up on the best of the best before the finals next week in Dominion as well. I have heard uh, nothing but but great things about uh, Sho and Shingo back from round one. Uh, other than that, however, what are the matches to watch here uh, from this tournament? And, and we're going to get, you know, Sho and Shingo part two next week as well. Yeah, um, I'd say uh, Suzuki versus Nagata also from the first round. Uh, was pretty great and I think pretty universally loved. And I think um, Hiromu Takahashi's last, any of his uh, matches, um, like Yano, Ishii, or Okada, just like take your pick of any of those because they were all great. <laughs> his whole run, uh, basically. Yeah. And uh, Evil versus Sonata was also really good. Always love it when we get to see two tag partners go head to head. But yeah, yeah. Uh, no surprise, I guess, that the best of list would be ripe with Hiromu matches. I'm so yeah. that is another thing, too. I feel like that the three months off sort of took away is just like the thrill of that comeback and how great it is to see him working again. But um uh, very excited to see uh, what the rest of 2020 has in store for him. Emily, we were talking, of course, about uh, the, the the cultural shift and movement that's uh, been going on here in wrestling over the last couple weeks. Uh, hashtag speaking out and, and, you know, people in positions of power, abusers being held responsible for uh, what they uh, have done. And I was curious to talk to you as as a woman in wrestling media spaces uh, as far as like what your experience has been because I found out last week, you know, that uh, the guy who uh, was setting up my interviews here in our local indie was outed as, as someone who had been, uh, you know, threatening and abusive and creating a toxic environment for women in particular. 
I never had to deal with that. I never would have even suspected it. Uh, you had a tweet thread last week uh, just about the way uh, you know powerful men uh, are held to account by other men, and we never ask women about uh, their experience and, and what can be done here. So I guess uh, I want to offer you that platform because what's it? What I can't I can't imagine that my experience has been anything similar to yours as far as being in wrestling spaces overall. Um. Well. Let's see. Um, gosh, it's like such a big topic. Part like, um, I think something that maybe like men in wrestling or entertainment or media could uh, kind of keep in mind more is not just the impact um of people experiencing abuse or harassment but also the kind of uh potential like financial impact and career impact and social impact of people coming forward about these things um because i think anybody keeping up with um the speaking out movement can see that these are a lot of men in positions of power and there are a lot of uh men who are actually at some times like the people giving the most opportunities to women in their like region of the indie circuit like i'm in uh i live in southern california and the two promoters really implicated down here were uh, Joey Ryan, who books uh, or booked uh, bar wrestling, and a smaller promotion, the guy who ran a smaller promotion called um, AWS, that uh, is less known, but also like probably the second biggest place for women to work around here. So, like, especially with Joey Ryan, because he was also so popular on the indies. Um, there was a lot of fear about how uh, speaking out against him would affect people's uh, livelihoods. I think you hear the word livelihood in these kind of conversations a lot about like the men who people would like to see lose power. It's like, what about their livelihoods? But this is also women who are experiencing abuse are, are worrying about their livelihoods as well. And there's like a lot of sacrifice that they have to think about. And if they're in something like entertainment, they've probably already made a lot of sacrifices in order to get there. If you're in wrestling, if you're a working wrestler, you've like put so much like hard work into your body and your craft and experience so much like pain and effort that that's another thing that you have to consider when it's like, I might be ending it because I'm talking about an experience with harassment. But um, Joey Ryan, I heard about him when I was uh, looking into doing um, an article on bar wrestling. And I reached out to somebody who I knew kind of knew people backstage there. And they were like, uh, maybe don't try and talk to Joey Ryan because he is basically the Harvey Weinstein of indie wrestling. And it was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, it wasn't super shocking to me because I've met like a fair amount of like creeps in entertainment. 
it doesn't really surprise me when anybody gets outed as a creep at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, I later I kind of tried to look into doing an article about it, which I knew I couldn't get run at Uprox because my editor, who was also named in this, would uh, block pretty much every story that we could do about sexual harassment suspiciously this was because he had his own uh dirt and he would like there were very responsible ways to like cover this stuff um and he would block even the most responsible ways and it that would drive me crazy because i had experienced harassment from this person and he would just act like this is because he was trying to be a responsible journalist it's like nope it's not but uh so i thought about <laughs> trying to pitch kind of a a thing about Joey Ryan, like elsewhere, if I could get people who had been um, abused by him to talk about it. And uh, I reached out to someone else in the wrestling scene who I picked up, like, was upset about this whole situation. And I actually pulled up, because <laughs> I knew it was going to be on this podcast, this quote from him uh, about the situation was, uh, there was already a sports journalist working on a story and talking to women at the end of the day, they don't want their names on it because they foresee Mark promoters, not booking them and an online army of marks doxing them. That's what I always notice as much as I think the opposite would eventually happen. And it would really crack open a brutal aspect of lower level indie wrestling and everyone would be on the girl's side so far. They don't see it that way. Uh, and what this guy <laughs> just talked about actually did happen. And that's like what the speaking out movement was. This message is from like months ago. <laughs> um, so it did actually work out. Like that's kind of the most positive thing about this. Like despite the level of, I know for a lot of people, this was like incredibly negative as fans to have all this stuff come out. But like, to me, it was honestly kind of, a more positive thing because seeing like how much support there was largely for like women coming forward with evidence like dms and like very credible stories um and that's probably the most positive thing about this but like this guy's message about like i think that's something that um kind of everybody who's like a fan or who works in media with anything around entertainment, like not just wrestling can consider um, is that speaking out about this type of stuff takes it, it, um, it risks literally like the end of your career. <laughs> um, it risks like having no fan base anymore um that's something that i was like afraid of at my job uh because i had reason to believe that my boss would find a way to have just burn every like connection that i had ever made in the industry um well yeah yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> you talked about the the you know, risking livelihoods and whatnot when when people come forward to to step forward and, and and make these uh claims against powerful men but you know you, you, we have to think about as well how many women have been forced out of the industry or gave up or quit because of these exact same 
conditions, right? It's kind of a, there is a, there's a cost to um, silence on some level as well. And it might not be for the people who are, uh, are not saying something, I guess. Um, It's just a very, it's so wild to see how widespread this is throughout the industry. uh, That it's just kind of every promotion has its stories and they're all coming to light right now. I don't know what the solution is here. We kind of kicked around the idea on the show last week of, uh, a kind of a overall governing body, like a like a human relations department for the entire industry. But I don't know how that's even feasible. It just seems like an impossible problem to uh, make these companies be accountable to themselves. And as you were saying, it's not just uh, wrestlers. It's not just promoters. This has affected uh, coverage and journalism as well. Uh, you know, where you were writing uh, with Spandex is no longer... Uh, a site that exists, basically. They shuttered yeah. the entire thing because of allegations uh, against your previous boss, Brandon Stroud. And um, that was a very fascinating thing as well. And I know you're very close to it. And I, I don't want to make you talk about it if it's difficult or what have you. But, um, y- you know, it's, 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 it's tough because there were other people. Uh, like yourself, who wrote for that site, other people who maybe did not have another job lined up uh, like you did. And, and uh, I don't say that to make you feel guilty or anything like that, but it just it does seem like there are innocent bystanders who wrote for that vertical who have lost their jobs because of the actions of a horrible man who is not them. Yep, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, it was kind of as soon as it blew up the allegations against Brandon uh and they were so much bigger than whenever somebody had like made a joke about him being a creep before I kind of like man it was like I don't know why it was very it was very upsetting to me I was so like messed up about this for a while uh not because of like surprise but because I just kind of knew that I don't know well I felt like I was being kind of like publicly embarrassed in front of thousands of people even though that was not the case (laughs) but because this was like something I had really tried to like keep as a private thing and kind of control as much of it as I could which was like very very little (laughs) so that was like upsetting and uh but I also figured like either what was going to happen was he was gonna somehow keep his job and then I if I ever, if I said anything about my experience with him would have to quit and, uh, or just, they would shut down the site. And so I had very like good timing where Fanbyte uh, kind of made me an offer, like the night before I was supposed to talk to HR about Brandon. So I was able to go on that call and be like, oh, by the way, this is like my two weeks notice also. (laughs) And here's (laughs) all of my old uh, texts and uh, Slack messages from this person and everything I experienced and was able to like pass on stories of other people and like not have that uh, fear of Of reprisal. (laughs) But yeah, it was, it sucked. It's the fallout of this stuff is like, I think a lesson to people who might think in the industry like 
while this abusive person like makes us a certain amount of money uh, at this time but like that is not sustainable in the long term especially in the age of like where so many so much communication takes place over like texts and things that you can record like do not do not think that you can get away with it <laughs> because uh um it's yeah i hope that like people who work with abusive people like actually deal with it like as soon as possible like because it is not uh it will catch up to them in the long term i think yeah and I it will hurt like more people than it would have hurt if it was dealt with originally it's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morris. At my guest this week, Emily Pratt of FanFight, formerly of Wispandex at Uproxx, which we are discussing at the moment as it is uh, no longer a website. They have shuttered that vertical. And Emily, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, it felt like Uproxx's response to this entire thing was... Um, pretty pitiful honestly the the yeah. the message that they put out that that investigation was coming like finally went up after i think you had said that they'd promised some sort of statement three days earlier and when they finally put something up it was kind of bare bones and then was just eventually edited the same post to say that yeah. brandon no longer has a job and the website no longer exists uh yes. a lot of people on, on a night on a holiday weekend. Yeah. Like everybody in media knows is when you <laughs> release stuff you don't really want people to see. Like, this was infuriating to follow, I think, for a, a number of readers of the site and just fans of uh, wrestling in general. As someone who was kind of up close and personal and involved in the internal investigation, um, was this as, as infuriating for you to follow as it was for the rest of us? Or did you kind of have some idea of, of what was going on behind the scenes that maybe made it a, a little bit easier? Um... Man, I tried to not be too, like, sorry, be too, like, emotional about it. Because, I mean, it was, like, the whole situation was upsetting. I had put, like, a lot of time into this website uh, over, like, two and a half years. And I had really tried to, like, deal with the... Brandon's situation on my own as much as I could because I thought that was like my only option <laughs> and uh, like how the company dealt with it I think my focus and was like cooperating as much with the investigation as I could and providing as much evidence as I could because I did not think it was a given that he would be fired. <laughs> and like, it was really bizarre to see how long it took to put out the statement. Cause it was like every few days you would talk to them and they would be like, Oh, we're waiting to get it past legal. And then like it came out and it didn't mention who he was. It was like, you know, people have been like screaming at this website <laughs> online for like 10 <laughs> days at that point. Like, there's a Twitter account that's, like, is Uproxx still trash or something like that now? Like, somebody made a parody account, like, of Brandon that's just <laughs> saying, like, dumb stuff. So it's, like, 
I think they could have dealt with it better. I don't really know what was going on because Uproxx is also owned by Warner Music Group, which is a much larger company. And like, that's who was doing the investigation. So there are a lot of things that I don't really know about the investigation, but um, like they at least made it pretty easy to talk to them about stuff and they were reading all everything that I sent to them <laughs> at least so um I don't know yeah my expectations were like not that high but I can see why people who had no experience with the company were like very surprised and angry about things but I was just kind of like felt kind of resigned about the whole situation <laughs> I'm curious what the reaction was too uh, for you um, and and perhaps other people on the staff as well when this was coming out because certainly it feels like at least in the local scene here as far as how uh, people have reacted to allegations against um, you know uh, bookers and management in in our local indie uh, the question becomes like who knew what and what did you know and when and so on etc and there is all sorts of of finger pointing and vitriol after the fact to people uh, who, you know, maybe such as yourself were were in positions where they were trying to deal with this long before it became public. Uh, like, did, did you guys kind of get any any blowback that you know maybe did not belong to be uh, coming your way? Um, personally, I did not. I think some people who were like personal friends with Brandon and had known him for a long time. I have seen some people responding to them like not really trusting that they didn't know anything, but I think people, people didn't really do that to me. I think maybe people kind of picked up that like the, maybe I you, was being, you had been if a victim. People, if people were thinking about what I was saying, which was like, I was one of the low, much lower profile people like involved in this. I think maybe they could have, uh, <laughs> figured out that I was like probably <laughs> more likely to be a harassment uh, victim than enabler uh, but um, yeah I didn't really face blowback some some people I think were less trustful of like Brandon's like former friends uh, there yeah. just there just does seem to be some misplaced anger a little bit out of all this, and I I understand it, but uh, I was just you know curious if if you had to deal with yeah. with any of that. But you know I, I'm I'm curious as to how you feel on the other end of this. I mean, obviously this is still an ongoing process, and it's probably been a very emotional couple weeks. But it does feel like we are uh, building something better. I think out of this for for basically the entire wrestling scene, no matter where you are. Um. I feel like there could be some positive things that come out of this. I think those will probably be limited to part of the U.S. indie scene and probably Canadian indie scene. And if the U.K. indie scene like really reckons with like the sheer scale of abuse that was going on there, like they will have to like just make huge changes i think um i think if companies really come to terms with that and um maybe listen to more people than they had been listening to before about how companies are organized and who is trustworthy in positions of power 
I think there could be a really positive thing. Um, AEW maybe <laughs> could uh, be a positive force in this. I don't really know. Uh, WWE, I, I mean, I know Impact fired some people. I guess I'm pretty, like, not optimistic about, like, bigger companies like WWE, especially, and Impact, and AEW, and stuff like that, and Ring of Honor really making meaningful changes and not, like, cosmetic changes. Um, but I think that, uh, I mean, things like, even, like, women getting booked at all like in a meaningful like to have you know significant matches like started on like the indie level like 10 or so years ago probably mm -hmm. more than 10 more than much more than 10 years ago I, my timeline is off but like i think that the what's happening on the indies can uh work its way up to larger companies so i guess i'm not that's not the most optimistic answer but i think that they're will be some uh positive changes because like not everybody in wrestling sucks there are a lot of good people absolutely and trustworthy people like in the scene and i think that there are um i think uh, there are a lot of young wrestlers who you see who are invested in like building a kind of a better future like people who want to be like lifers in wrestling i think can like pick up the reins and i think do something better after this yeah i think one of the worst things i've seen in the last couple of weeks and there have been some very appalling stories out there so for something to stand up as the worst uh really says something but you know you had dave Meltzer reporting that he believes that people who have stood up and and been whistleblowers and and told their stories through speaking out are you know potentially hurting their futures and and chances at getting signed to oh, I'm a sure major that's company true. and and I'm yeah I'm sure that's true in the case of WWE <laughs> because WWE and morality really do not go hand in hand but I'm glad you brought up the UK scene because when I was talking earlier about perhaps needing a a larger kind of government oversight and it does feel impossible that is kind of what the you know, UK government itself is calling for basically in the British wrestling scene at the moment. So um, maybe not as impossible as I, as I as I first thought, perhaps. But uh, Emily, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, and your honesty and and some some real difficult topics this evening. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for having me on the show. <laughs> Where can people find you before I let you go? Um, people can find my writing. Um, on uh, Fanbyte, uh, the wrestling section of Fanbyte, which is uh, Fanfight, F-A-N-F-Y-T-E.com. We're on uh, DeadlockPW.com um, and find the promotion of all my articles and just tweets on my Twitter account at Emily of Pratt. Uh, I'm so glad that you have found a new landing place. It is always a pleasure to read your recaps on New Japan when I uh, do not have it in me to, uh, you know, wake up at 5 a.m. and watch yeah. a four-hour show that might only have a handful of meaningful matches on it. I, I don't think it's a coincidence, Emily, that most of my friends who tend to get hard into the New Japan tournaments, especially the G1 every year, are usually doing that during uh, gaps in their life 
life where they are just completely yeah. <laughs> unemployed and have nothing else to do. Yeah, watching the whole G1, like, you really have to have, like, nothing going on <laughs> to, in order to do it. You have to discipline yourself in order to watch the whole G1. Which is wh- really why I salute you. You are providing a truly valuable service, and I very yeah, much appreciate your Yeah, in August, I work. just have no life, so... <laughs> Although it's going to be a little bit later this year. Yeah, uh, this year it's going to be like October. I have no life. <laughs> well, uh, I look forward to having you back then. We can talk all things G1 a little later in the yeah. year and maybe have uh, some happier circumstances to uh, to have a nice chat. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. Thank you. There she is, Emily Pratt, my guest this evening. You can find her work, as she said, at Fan Fight. Her, her first article covering the New Japan Cup dropped this morning, and that is where her stuff will be going forward. Uh, a very heavy conversation, as uh, uh, you know, evident by the topics that we discussed, certainly in the back end of that chat. But uh, that's our show this evening. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. As you know, things have been a little bit heavy on the show lately. Things have been heavy in the world of pro wrestling. I hope to be able to come back next week and and actually dive into some of these cards that. As I mentioned, NXT and AEW have been putting on some some pay-per-view level cards on television. Uh, it's luring me back after needing a, a bit of a break here to to kind of reset my brain as far as what I think about when I watch pro wrestling and the the thoughts that uh, that the business currently inspires in me. I'm being one back. And uh, I, I do want to you know actually just talk about wrestling and matches again at some point, but you know the time for that is not right now. And I hope that uh, you, as a listener, are able to understand and appreciate that. Do have one hopeful note to end on, though. However, talked earlier about how the trainers at the Lionsgate Dojo really do deserve some love as far as um, standout members of the local scene here in Vancouver. Uh, who you know who have done tremendous work over the last several years and uh, look to be carrying on that work as well. A Twitter account launched this morning at Lionsgate Dojo. It is followed mostly by local wrestlers here in the Vancouver scene. Its bio reads: "Professional Wrestling School, based out of the Greater Vancouver area, currently not affiliated with any professional wrestling company." They have one tweet on their account. It was posted eight hours ago. All it says is soon. So big moves happening behind the scenes there. It looks like look forward to covering whatever happens with the Lionsgate Dojo going forward. And uh, a big thanks to Emily Pratt of Fan Fight for joining me this evening as well. Thank you to you, the listener, as well. Hope you had uh, a nice time or, well, as nice as uh, a conversation like that can be when you are grappling with some of the topics that uh, Emily was Uh, kind enough to open up about. I will be back to do this all over again. Same bat time, same bat channel, 10 p.m. right here on Sportsnet 650 next Sunday as I am every single Sunday night. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. It's been Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650.